Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Reimagined Energy. Um, recently, I had the opportunity to attend the Smart Energy Conference in Halifax. It was a great conference. I was a sponge during the whole time. And during that time, I attended an EV landscape session where David Adams uh, was one of the panelists. David Adams, he's the president and CEO of Global Automakers of Canada. A really great guy. I took down a lot of questions to ask him today. So let's get started. Hi, everyone, and hi, David. Welcome. Thanks very much, Maria. Glad to be here. Yes, it's wonderful. So we met uh, briefly at the Smart Energy Conference just recently, and uh, it was great to talk with you. And I know you're you're with the Global Automakers of Canada. So tell me a little bit about you know what your organization is and and what you do. Sure. So the Global uh, Automakers of Canada is a national trade association that represents the um, the interests of the international automakers in the Canadian marketplace. So um, within our our membership, we have 15 member companies. We have two uh, vehicle manufacturers that are are part of our group. So Toyota and Honda. Uh, Toyota being the largest uh, manufacturer in Canada, right. and uh, Honda being the third largest manufacturer in Canada. Um, the other 13 um, members are the exclusive Canadian distributors of their brand in the Canadian marketplace. So, uh, for instance, BMW Canada or Volkswagen Canada, Kia Canada, um, they're all of our members as well. And uh, a lot of what we do is um, is advocacy work and government relations work, primarily with the uh, federal government, but also with um, provincial governments um, as the need arises. And a lot of the issues that we're working on these days tend to be oriented around um, environmental issues, uh, as you might imagine. So... Um, yeah, that's um, that's what, who we are and what we do in a nutshell. Well, that is great because it sounds like you have your hands full as you're all getting ready for the EV um, adoption in Canada. It's already taken place. Well, yeah, it's um, where I wouldn't say getting ready for it. We're we're well into it at this point, yeah. and uh, yeah, I would say that it's um, it's going to be an ongoing, you know disruption essentially in the industry for for the foreseeable future and it's um you know it, it's linked at the same time to a number of other things that are going on at the, at the industry in the industry level that are really sort of transforming the industry from uh from what it was to what it will be in the future and those other issues include things like um you know automated and connected vehicles the digitization of the um um, the consumer experience um, from you know uh, buying a vehicle at, at a physical dealer to uh, purchasing a vehicle in some cases totally online, but in other cases um, you know doing much of the transaction online. So a lot of disruption going on in, in the industry. But the one of the issues that we're um, quite focused on now is this uh, this transition to um, electrification. Yes. At the conference, you sat in on a panel on, on EV landscape and you sat with right. others. And I took a lot of notes and I just want to, I wrote down a few questions in advance that I just want to ask you. Sure. You had mentioned, you guys were talking about supply chain 
you know, and, and also some of the constraints that are being uh, faced. And do you want to talk a little bit about those? Sure. I guess, um, so there's a couple of things. Um, you know, I guess if you look at it from a government policy perspective, um, governments around the world are looking to try and mitigate greenhouse gas emissions. And uh, in Canada, um, transportation is the second largest uh, source of greenhouse gas emissions. And if you break down transportation and look at the um, the light duty vehicle sector, which is, is our members, um, that's about uh, 50% roughly of, of overall um, transport emissions, or if you look at all the emissions in Canada, uh, light duty vehicles are about 10%. So not, not a huge amount, but not an insignificant amount either. So I, I think uh, federal governments and provincial governments, because the environment is a shared jurisdiction, have both been looking at ways to, um, to reduce emissions from transportation amongst other sources. And one of the ways that they've been looking at it is this transition to zero emission vehicles or electric vehicles. So, um, you know, really if you're generating the electricity for those vehicles, um, from, uh, clean or renewable power sources, then, um, you know, effectively the, the, the fuel is, is green and, and the vehicle itself is not producing any, uh, any greenhouse gas emissions. So. Um, governments largely are looking to um, zero emission vehicles as a key way to reduce uh, to reduce greenhouse gas emissions from from the light duty vehicle sector. Yeah, I mean, there's the electricity side of it as well. It's it's the fuel, you know, for these vehicles, which is electricity. You had mentioned, you know, there's at currently, you know, if everyone in Canada had an EV or something there's not enough electricity to go around to power them or recharge. Well, I, I think um, the real challenge is just as uh, as society electrifies. So it's not just the the vehicles. It's, um, you know, if we're going to meet our overall emissions reduction targets, then everything essentially needs to electrify. And uh, Royal Bank did a study a couple of years back, and it's been buttressed and, and confirmed by other studies that have been done that we essentially need to double or, or triple our um, uh, electricity generation capacity in Canada if we're going to be able to uh, um, to do that. So I think um, that's, you know, as we move down this this path to electrified vehicles, that's, you asked about constraints and concerns. That's one of the concerns that um, I think automakers have is, will there be enough electricity? And, you know, th- there may well be enough electricity, but will, will our uh, transmission lines and distribution uh, lines be um, be updated and uh, and modernized to accommodate that extra le- electricity. Um, yeah, they talked a lot that. about that during the the conference. You know, it's just yeah. you know making sure the grid is right. Yeah, other constraints you know are things again that are concerning the manufacturers are the things that obviously are outside of their control. So will there be you know enough? Uh, well, it's not a question of are there enough um, materials to make batteries? It's there, there probably are, but the question is, can we get them out of the ground, um, you know, processed uh, into batteries um, to meet the rapid rump, ramp up in, um, in zero emission vehicle demand that there's going to be? And, you know, there, if you look at some of the critical minerals for batteries, it's estimated that globally we're going to need about 375 new mines to, you know, with wow. different, whether it's lithium or graphite or what have you 
um, to be able to uh, to build all the batteries that we need. And when if you start working back at you know from a, a timing perspective, you know typically you can't get a a new mine onboarded um, anywhere. You know it takes somewhere between 10 and 15 years to get a new mine up and running. And clearly we don't have that much time to get the, you know, these uh, mines up and running to produce the batteries that we need to yeah. make the vehicles that we need to meet the targets that have been set out and, and some of the regulations. That, that's amazing. Yeah. The mining comment, you know, is the one that really, you know, threw me for a loop, you know, to meet the demands, the battery. So that's why so much, there's a lot of advancement that is needed in the battery technology to make them last longer and stronger somehow. No, I, I think, um, and, and that's one of the other challenges, I guess, too, is that nobody really knows what uh, what the battery chemistry of the future is going to be. There's a, you know, it's, it's kind of much like, um, so vehicles have, have changed from a, a mechanical device to being more of a, an electronic device. Um, much like your cell phone, and it's just like you know, oh, well, every year there's a new iteration of uh, an iPhone that you know has a better camera and a, a longer-lasting battery and that sort of bigger, thing. better, so, faster. Yeah. Yeah. But this is a real challenge with with uh, battery technology, right? Is that nobody really knows what the battery technology of the future is going to be, and if you're asking companies to commit, you know, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars to putting um, opening up a new mine to uh, mine a particular critical mineral that's necessary for the batteries of today, but may not be necessary for the batteries of tomorrow, then you're in a situation where, you know, you have stranded capital and, and you're putting a lot of time, money, and effort into something that, that may not be required. So there's a lot of um, uncertainty out there uh, in a lot of, on a lot of fronts. And I think that's, you know, business always likes certainty. And it's, um, it, it's, some of these things are just disconcerting when others say, you know, Vehicle manufacturers are have, going to have a hard enough time just um, uh, building the vehicles, let alone <laughs> worrying about uh, all of the different uh, pieces of the the puzzle that need to be put in place to ensure this uh, this transition um, goes smoothly and uh, towards electrification. You had mentioned how China has the most uh, the most capability of processing the minerals that go into the batteries. Yeah. Uh, what What are some of your your thoughts on that? Well, I, I think that's uh, because China, you know, has at was an early adopter and then really focused on on the electrification of uh, of vehicles. Um, you know, sort of largely before anybody else did. Um, they have a competitive advantage in that space now. They have all virtually well, and in most cases, uh, you know, pick pick an item whether it's. Um, it's processing, it's, it's battery development, it's uh, some of the raw materials. You know, China is, um, you know, got the lion's share of the market. And I think that's why you're seeing, um, for instance, the United States respond um, in kind by sort of being a little bit behind the eight ball and recognizing that the, the future is going to be electric and also recognizing that they don't have... Um, you know they're sort of in the same position with China as they they used to be with uh, the OPEC countries as far as oil is concerned. So they don't want to be beholden to uh, a foreign jurisdiction that may not be um, a friendly jurisdiction for uh, for all the batteries, uh, battery components, all the processing of the minerals, and all that sort of thing. So the United States and and Canada as well, I think, have put a uh, a keen focus on trying to 
ensure that we're building out a lot of that, um, you know, those mines, the critical minerals, um, processing capability in North America as such, so, so that they can be a little bit more masters of their own destiny with respect to the, um, uh, you know, that the development and building of um, not only the batteries, but the vehicles themselves. The infrastructure. We can't have a yep. conversation about EVs and, and, and anything to do with roads or even infrastructure isn't only about the highways. It's about the, the charging. It's about the uh, the ratios you had mentioned, the IEA sure. or something to do with California. Can you tell me, tell everyone a little bit about that side of things? Sure. I mean, um, infrastructure is key. And I think the the, the CAA actually sponsored our panel uh, on Monday <laughs> that, that I spoke at, and they released a report relatively recently, I think just a couple of weeks ago, that surveyed um, EV owners. And, you know, EV owners were typically, you know, saying they were really enjoyed their vehicles, were thrilled with their vehicles, uh, would probably not go back to driving an internal combustion engine vehicle. But even, you know, what as much as they like their vehicles, they were still very concerned about the charging infrastructure. And, um, you know, I, we've always said as an industry that charging infrastructure, you know, it's a bit of a chicken and the egg issue, but the charging infrastructure really needs to be in place to provide consumers with the confidence that they can buy a vehicle and, you know, just like a, a gasoline station, they can find a place relatively easy to, to charge it when they need to charge it. Because right now, it's still a situation where, you know, you don't see signs on the side of the highway saying that in most cases anyway, saying there's a, an EV charging station at the cool. next exit, like you do gasoline signs. And it's really a, a situation too as well. How, how much is, is the, the right amount of, um, of infrastructure? And, you know, from our perspective, you mentioned the International Energy Agency, I think their sort of benchmark is that jurisdictions should have, uh, you know, one sort of EV uh, charging station for every nine EVs on the road. Uh, I think Europe has a slightly different metric. I, I might get my numbers mixed up, but they're either one in 10 or one in seven, and California is either one in seven or one in 10. I forget which is which off the top of my head. But, you know, e even if you look at California, it's a jurisdiction, you know, much, much smaller than Canada is and as a nation. Same number of vehicles on the road, but you know they're suggesting that even with their small, smaller geographic footprint, they again I forget the ratio, but it's either uh, seven to one or ten to one. And Canada, in terms of the analysis that um, Natural Resources Canada is undertaking to look at this, has, has suggested, oh well, um, we think twenty-four to one is the right ratio. And you know we we just uh, we have a hard time as an industry seeing how that could be possible, given that we're. Uh, much larger jurisdiction, uh, you know, a colder jurisdiction in the wintertime when there tends to be battery de degradation. Um, so, you know, we, we believe we need a lot more than the, the 24 to 1 ratio that, uh, that's been suggested in consultants' report, reports to the federal government. Um, and, uh, you know, I, one last thing I would say on it is that I think you almost need to overbuild the, um, the infrastructure at the front end to provide consumers with that confidence. Uh, yeah, some of those stations ultimately may not be be needed and could potentially be decommissioned. You know, want to put in infrastructure needlessly, but um, you know, if we, we really want to encourage consumer adoption, then 
consumers need to need to know that they can charge their vehicle wherever. And you know, for people that have a live in a detached home and have a garage and put a charging station in their garage, it's uh, yeah, you're going to do. You know, the statistics are, you know, eighty percent of the people do most of their charging at home. Well, if you have a home that accommodates that, that's great. But there are thirty percent of Canadians that live in, uh, you know, multi-unit. Uh, you know, rental buildings and, uh, you know, that's a different proposition to try and get chargers in those. So, you know, what we really need is, um, is the regulations to be, uh, updated to ensure that, you know, anytime, um, builders are building new condos, uh, new MERBs, what have you, that, um, part of the requirement building requirement is that you at least, um, build in the capability to put charging stations into those, uh, those units because it's uh it's way easier to put the units in once you have the um you know the the carve out done in in uh, to to ensure that the stations can be um uh, deployed in the buildings than trying to retrofit them after the fact do you think it should be up to the manufacturers to create the uh, infrastructure you know when you look at tesla you know they have the tesla superchargers uh, there's the Volkswagens of the world, and there's the you know the other Honda and Toyota. Um, I guess you know, I guess when you look at it, you know, when you have the Essos and the Petrol Canada, they don't have their own make and models of cars. So, I guess throwing it out there, do you do you think that there should be maybe universal charging, and should it be up to the manufacturer to to work, you know, with these? Yeah, I, I mean, and you raised Tesla, and, and Tesla's um, an interesting example because if you look at their whole business model was predicated. I mean, they were a new new car company. Um, their their only product is electric vehicles. So, for their business model to work, they need to have they they absolutely need to build out their own infrastructure. They weren't saying to government, "Oh, well, we're we're building an electric car, but you build out the the infrastructure for us." But you know, I think for um, for traditional automakers that are involved in this transition, um, you know, it's uh, it's hugely uh, uh, capitally expensive to um, to make that transition to uh, build the vehicles, to build the batteries, to support the vehicles. That um, you know, that by and large, manufacturers don't look at it as their job to put the infrastructure in place as well. You have seen some um, you know some exceptions to that. So Volkswagen. For instance, had a um, ownership stake. I think they still do. And Electrify America, and Electrify Canada, which is responsible for building out some infrastructure. It's not, you know, it's not their own particular brand per se, like Tesla is. But uh, those those stations would be open to, um, you know, any other EV um, as well. But um, you know, that that's more the exception than the norm. Um, typically, what happens is that um, you know different manufacturers will uh, collaborate with charging station providers, whether it's Flow or ChargePoint or what have you, uh, to say, okay, well, we've struck an agreement with our, um, you know, with a uh, a charging station provider when a consumer buys their vehicle that they might get a a discounted rate or a um, or a certain number of kilometers free uh, with their particular charging station provider, but um, you know the, the real challenge is just there's um you know there there's too many different types of uh charging station providers out as, uh, right now as well which 
would be no problem if they all sort of operated the same way and uh you know you could pay by credit card but that's not the uh right. the norm the norm is that you know every charging station seems to have a a different app that you have to download and exactly. you know you need a different card that you might need so you can have a wallet full of cards you need and, the adapter uh, to go along with it yeah, yeah. some want you to put that deposit down you know so that uh so this sort of thing so it's not it's certainly not convenient for uh for consumers the the charging infrastructure that we have um that we have right now for sure and um you know the other challenge that i've experienced myself is just you know the the uptime of the charging infrastructure there's nothing more frustrating to a an EV driver to have, you know, whatever, 40 kilometers left and go to a, a fast charger somewhere only to find out that, oh, gee whiz, it's not working. And then you're hard, you might be hard pressed to find another station that you can get to with the limited range that you still have on your vehicle. So I know that's something we've been encouraging the federal government and their, um, their new contracts where they're trying to um, encourage uh, doing RFPs for, uh, for the installation of um charging infrastructure that part of that RFP would be a uh, you know an, an uptime uh, requirement so that uh, these charging stations are are maintained and there is a performance metric built into um, built into that contract that would be really helpful so last question is what are what is your organization doing what are the next uh, what does the next six months to a year look like what projects are you working on that sort of thing Sure. I mean, one of the things that um, we will be working on for uh, the remainder of the year, I, we talked a little bit about it at the, the session, is um, the federal government has introduced uh, a zero emission vehicle mandate, which is similar to what California has had in place for some time, which is basically um, would require manufacturers, the proposal is to require manufacturers to have uh, 20% of their uh, their sales be EV by 2026, uh, at least 60% by 2030, and then 100% by 2035. Um, you know, from our perspective as an association, uh, we've always maintained that the, the focus should be on greenhouse gas emissions reduction and uh, sort of let the vehicle manufacturers figure out what the best way is to re you know, re achieve that target number that the government sets. Because, um, you know, within my own membership, for instance, I have some that are very much uh, further along the uh, the electrification landscape and others that are, are not so far along. They might have, uh, you know, just launched or in the process of launching their first EV. It seems to us to be a, a bit of a perplexing dynamic when you have some vehicle manufacturers that have the lowest GHG emissions as a, a manufacturer across their fleet, but yet because they're not deploying electric vehicles are going to be penalized under a zero emission vehicle mandate. Um, so that's something that we'll be working on. Um, there's also, uh, I mean, we can't uh, ever lose sight of what's happening in the U.S. Um, with the industry in Canada. And, uh, you know, last week the... Um, president or uh, actually the uh, EPA administrator uh, fulfilled the president's um, goal of releasing a notice of proposed rulemaking, which is sort of the first step of their regulatory process to put in more stringent greenhouse gas emission standards um, beyond 2026 out to 2032, I believe. And, uh, you know, what our initial analysis of those um, 
regulations, which Canada, by the way, adopts as a matter of course. We incorporate those by reference up here because it's an integrated industry. Our, our fleets are generally the same. Um, that those new standards will probably deliver the same number of um, electric vehicles that uh, you know Canada is hoping to achieve through a ZEV mandate. So it seems to us that the ZEV mandate is a bit of an unnecessary sort of belt and suspenders approach to achieve the same goal. Um, but that it adds a lot of uh, unnecessary regulatory burden on um, manufacturers in Canada and causes a lot of um, unintended consequences as well. Um, other things that we're working on that are, are related to is that, um, you know, uh, the whole notion of circular economy, for instance, has been a, a big issue, um, you know, across sectors for a while. And we've seen sort of stewardship um, initiatives um, initially in things like um, what traditional car batteries, the 12 volt batteries or uh, tires or, you know, things like that. Uh, some of the fluids, antifreeze in vehicles, ensuring that these are disposed of and taken care of properly. Um, you know, and there's a there's a broader initiative, I think, ongoing now as uh, uh, more electric vehicles are put on the road in terms of governments and whatnot being concerned about, oh, well, what happens to the battery at the end of the life of the vehicle? And while I could say, okay, it's, it's maybe a legitimate concern, I what I would say is that um, it's not in the same context as, um, or it's not the same type of issue as, uh, you know, tires or something like that, where there's maybe not a lot of value associated with tires. That batteries are extremely valuable, and the only way that we're going to be able to kind of meet our battery production targets is to take those batteries at the end of their useful life and and recycle them appropriately and again draw out all of the critical minerals and, and raw materials and reuse those uh, to make new batteries and, and new battery components so um, that's uh, a related but another um, uh, sort of set of discussions uh, and dialogue that we're going to be pursuing over the course of the, the next year or so I'm sure anyway. Yeah, I like that idea about, you know, the recycling part for sure. Um, Thank you so much, David, for your time today. I know you're a very, very busy guy, and uh, it was great to meet with you uh, this week. And, um, you know, best wishes to you and your organization and and all the things that you're going to be working on the next little while. Well, thanks to you, Marie, and thanks for uh, having me on the podcast. I appreciate it. All right. Have a great day. You too. Well, there you have it. That was David, who gave us a really good snapshot about the manufacturer's side to the adoption of EVs and the creation of EVs to get into more driveways in Canada, into more parking lots. There's a, it gave us a different perspective from the manufacturer's point of view. And I really hope that today's discussion kind of got some ideas sparked in you and it broadened your knowledge a little bit about the, the EV landscape in Canada. I'm Marie McGowan. Thanks for joining today. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you can listen in every week and get everything you can on all about reimagined energy. Have yourself a great day and thanks for tuning in.